Well, good morning. My name is Jonathan Morgan. You may not be familiar with me. I usually mean the first um, church service. So just as a way that I might introduce myself, I was um, taught in a Christian school for five years. I was a principal there for a year. I went, I was drafted into the service and I met my wife. We've been married 46 years now. She's sitting right over there. Hi, honey. Very blessed. Didn't want to go to the army, but now I'm certainly glad I went. And uh, I've been pastoring or did pastor for nearly 35 years and I'm now retired. And uh, my I guess my big claim to fame now is I have a son that's over here and he's preaching. Some of you know Daniel Morgan. I have another son who's over as a missionary in Romania. I'm very blessed. The Lord has been very gracious to me and I'm just thrilled that I have two sons who are willing to share their life with the gospel. Last week, we looked at the wake of sin, and Vance did a wonderful job sharing last week. And this week, we're looking at the path of sin. Now, listening to Vance last week, we came to understanding that the wake of sin has ripples to it. There's consequences for sin. And I thought he did a great job. I, I wanted to make sure that he knew that, and so I commended him this morning. But now I want us to lead into the path of sin and, and some things that uh, we can glean from this passage. I'm reading from 2 Samuel, the 11th chapter. We're going to be looking at actually the whole chapter, and we'll never get to 12. But nevertheless, we're going to glean some truths that God has given to me. I pray that they will be informative and helpful for you. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for what you want to do in our hearts. I pray once again, Lord, that you would infill uh, me with your spirit, empower me to speak your truth, and Lord, give me the clarity of mind to be able to think what you want me to say, and give me the words that need to be shared that your people might be built up and challenged to take their gifts and become part of the kingdom of God and use them for your glory. I pray for the person here who may not be a Christian yet. They don't know what it is to have Jesus as their Lord and Savior. He's not their boss. He may be on the list somewhere, but he's not the boss. And I pray that you speak to them today. For each one of us, where we're at, Lord, we ask that you open up our minds to truth from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look at David's life, David has said from Scripture that he was a man after God's own heart. But he, was, he failed to be alert and to pray, as Jesus often told his disciples. Pray and be alert. Watch and pray were some of his favorite words to them. Now, David's not a hot-blooded youth now. He's approximately 50 years of age. He's not a single man. He has several wives, six that we know of. He has sons who's reached the age of manhood and have become a horrible example for his sons to watch. He's the king of Israel, selected by God himself. He has a binding obligation to set before his kingdom subjects the pattern of righteousness. He grievously, as we find out, sins against Uriah. Since Uriah was a foreigner and he was in fighting on the battlefield in the king's service and for Israel's honor. We also find out he's a child of God. He sins against God. And God, who was the one who personally selected him to honor and glorify Jehovah's name and to lead the nation to him. How does a man who has known this sweet fellowship and intimate communion with God, how does he fall so easily and deeply into his deadly trap and be swayed into adultery and then to murder? I mean, how does a man go from this, the pinnacle of success, it seems, to the depravity in which he fell. Well, we're going to see some of the things today. But we know from Scripture, we know about mankind's nature and his character. We know it's terribly flawed and full of sin. The Bible says in Genesis 8, 21, the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Romans 7 tells us, in my flesh dwells no good thing. 
And yet God works with us even when we're frail and we're flawed and we're faithless and we're broken. God picks us up and continues to work within us to help us to become like he is. Isn't that a wonderful thing about God? He didn't say, that's it. You've had a million four hundred eighty-four choices. That's it for you. I'm tired of you. Praise God, he just keeps right on going and helping us. He picks us up. He doesn't want us to try to get good enough in order to go to church. I hear this a number of times over my lifetime. Well, when I get some things worked out, when I get good enough, I'm going to come to church. I've heard it enough times. So the one time I said to this gentleman, I moved a little closer to him, and I kind of smiled, and I said, so you don't plan on coming. You're never going to get good enough. We're not good enough. Listen, if we were good enough, then we don't need him. And that's the lie that the devil told Eve. You know, if you do eat this fruit and do this such and such and whatever it is, this, you'll be like his. And the implication is if you'll be like him, then you don't need him. And so you can get rid of the middleman. If you wait for you to get your ducks in a row, you'll never go to church. One of the things I like about the Bible is the Bible tells it like it is. It tells the good and the bad as history unfolds. The Bible says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness and an evil and violent generation. But it records his drunkenness and his shame in Genesis 9. Abraham was a man of great faith. But in the hour of famine, instead of seeking God and what God wanted, he goes down to Egypt and through his own lies and deception and misrepresenting his wife and nearly gets himself killed and his wife violated. This great man of faith. Lot, after his deliverance from Sodom, falls away through the love of wine into the lust of his wanton daughters. And he has two children by them, Moab and Edom, and some of you will recognize two of the tribes that plagued the children of Israel when they were coming out of Egypt. Sin has a price tag. It has a ripple effect. Aaron and Miriam. <laughs> Miriam was filled with jealousy. And she was struck with leprosy. And, and uh, Aaron interceded, and the people interceded on her behalf. And after seven days, she was cured. But the Bible is full of scripture of good and, and, good and good women and good men who've gone astray. We're going to see in, these, in, in some of the passages here that the spiritually asleep are not, watch, they're not watchful and they easily fall into Satan's snares. We see David, who was a man who enjoyed this sweet communion with God, but he failed to control his desires. He defiled his conscience and he ruined his emotional and mental state. Psalm 32, 1 through 4, actually 5 through 3 through 5, tells this terrible condition that he went through. And he said, my life is just wasting away. My bones are aching. And oh, he goes on to tell about this horrible time he was having. And he wrote that after this occasion where he had sinned so greatly. And the problem is that the name of God became a target of ridicule and sarcasm and blasphemy by God's enemies because of David's sins. David would go on to write, he says, surely man at his best estate is vanity. Well, he understood something. Well, let's look at this path of sin. As we do, let me read some verses to you. Chapter 11, 2 Samuel, verses 1 through 6. Then it happened in the spring at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. And David, but David stayed at Jerusalem. And when evening came, David rose from his bed and walked around the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her. And when he had come to him, he lay with her. And when she was purified herself from her uncleanness, she returned to her house and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, and said, I am pregnant. Well, I'll stop there, and we'll pick up in just, it's just in a minute. And it says, and it came to pass. <laughs> it's a lot of things that happen. Comes to pass after a year has expired. There's things that took place. 
in David's life. But here we see that he's, he failed to do something that he, he needed to do. In your outline, or if you, you follow in the notes, the path of sin leads us, first of all, to an unwillingness to fulfill responsibility, our responsibility. The sin of omission, which we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. He fell easily into, this, into the temptation. It seems like, how could this great man of God fall so easily? I mean, it's not like he didn't have a wife. He had at least six that we know of. It says, it came out in the spring. Well, there's a time to go to battle and there's a time that's not. In Vietnam, when the monsoons came, man, everything shut down. You couldn't even fly planes. Everything just shut down. When the Germans <laughs> erroneously attacked Russia, they did so in the winter. And they lost as many men because of the bad weather as they did because of combat. Well, it's a time for battle. In the spring was the time to go to battle. Joab and his army went forth, but the Bible says David stayed in Jerusalem. Now remember, Scripture is given for our learning and a given for us as a warning. David failed to follow the path of duty or responsibility. He was a leader of the army, head of the fighting men. He should have been leading them to overthrow the enemy. In his mind, it was probably a little thing. That's no big deal. Uh, you know, I'm the king. I got a great general. I got a great army besides the Lord's on my side. Here's an observation. You cannot count on the protection of God when you forsake the path of duty. He relaxed when he should have fastened on his sword and got to work. But he preferred the luxuries of the palace to the hardships of the battlefield. Well, I think that goes for most of us, wouldn't you say? Most of us would rather take the easy road than the hard road. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 2.3, endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. I mean, he should have known better. There was a period of time in David's life when he was running from Saul and he kept running and he kept asking God what he should do, but he came tired and he just got tired of running. And so he said, the best thing to do is go camp out with the enemy. See, so we went to the Philistines and he got in with them. Well, as the story unfolds, he nearly got himself killed and nearly ended up joining in battle and killing a lot of Israelites. And God had spared him from that. He should have learned from that occasion, but he didn't. The important principle here to grasp is this. God had taken off his armor, and therefore he was out protection when the enemy comes a calling. How many of you know the enemy comes a calling? Man, whether you like it or not, he's coming. <laughs> he will come. And many times he comes when you least expect it. Here's another observation. Our world is not a place of rest, but it's an arena where faith must go to battle. Faith has to be tested. Has to be. Paul, approaching the end of his life, said, I've fought the good fight. I've stayed the course. I didn't quit. I didn't give up. I didn't throw down my armor. Our faith is certain to be a losing one if we don't put on the whole armor of God. That as the Bible says that we may withstand the schemes or the wiles of the devil. Even after we have the armor of God, we need to pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and petition to this end to be alert with all perseverance according to Ephesians 6.18. In other words... We put on the helmet of salvation, which is we become a child of God. We have his mind. We put on a breastplate of righteousness. We do those things that are right to protect our hearts. We put on the belt of truth because you need to walk by truth. Your feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel. All these things are good. You take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and the, and the shield of faith, which protects us from fiery darts. And then he says, and pray always in the spirit with perseverance with perseverance we need help <laughs> we're flawed we're always looking for the easy way the shortcut 
question for all of us. Are you developing your fellowship with God? Since I've been retired, I've been thinking about what's the greatest thing that I could do? What's the greatest thing that you could do? Isn't it but that we would fall in love with him more and more? That every day as the days go by that I'd fall in love with him more and more. Well, how are you going to get that apart from the word of God? Apart from spending time with him. It, it won't come. Guard your time. It's precious. Spend time with him. Put your gifts into practice. Find out what your gift is if you don't know what it is. But everybody has abilities and talents they can use to be a blessing to God's people. Get engaged in kingdom work. Do you know Jesus, when he was 12 years old, he was in the temple when they found him. They thought he was lost. And he was in the temple. And what did he tell his parents? It's like he's saying, duh, didn't you know I'd be about my father's business? 12 years old. I asked myself this week as I prepared, am I about the father's business now that I'm retired? Are you about the father's business? For many people, I logged in my house. I used to have people come to church and they say, hey, pastor, you see me? I'm here today. It's almost like he was saying, I did you a favor. I showed up. Now, I'm glad they came. I'm, I'll be honest, I'm glad they came. It was like, whew, you see me? God must be impressed. I got here today. Mm. The church needs you. They need their gifts. They need your talents. They need you to be about the Father's business. Listen, the church needs you, but listen, America needs you. You see where America's going? I would have never believed that we had gone this far. I used to think, well, I'll save that. I still think. <laughs> but let me go on. Not only did David shun his post of duty, he was guilty of slothfulness, laziness. It was not in the middle of the night, but the evening tide when he arose. In the afternoon, which he had wasted, probably in self-luxury, David had failed to redeem the time. He was not engaged in seeking to be of use to anybody, anyone else or in improving himself. Laziness gives a great advantage to the devil. Matthew 13, 24 and 25 says, And while the men slept, the enemy came in and sowed tares among the wheat. While the Christian sleeps... I remember when I went to a Promise Keeper meeting in the 1900s. And a man from Korea got up to speak, and I thought, well, here's a man from Korea because uh, the literacy rate over there is 98%. 98%. And they have the largest church in the world over there. I, last I remember, it was up around 300,000. And they have people who report to pray, 20,000 people who report to pray at 5 o'clock in the morning. Wow. 20,000 people to pray. I thought, my goodness. My goodness. Praying that the Lord would do something that the nation would change. America needs you. It needs you to pray. It needs you to be involved. I've talked to people, well, I can't do anything. I can't, get, I, I can't even get out of my home. I said, you, can, you dial, can you hit the dial button on your phone? Can you call and encourage somebody? I can give you a list of people that need to be encouraged. Can you pray for some people that are sick? Or can you pray for some people going through a tough time? Can you, will you pray? Everybody can do something. I rem some of you saw the movie Schindler's List. His name was Oscar Schindler. He was an officer in the Nazi army. He ran a munitions factory making shells, artillery shells. And um, in the process, 
although he was not a moral man by any means, he saw that the, the extermination of the Jews was totally wrong. And so he decided to save as many as he could. He had over a thousand Jewish people in his munitions factory. He said he needed those. At the end of his life, he said he saved more than 1,200 Jewish people. When the war was over, they gathered around him and they gave him gifts of every kind. Some of them had taken out the gold in their teeth and they had given it to him for the sacrifice he made on their behalf. <laughs> In the movie, he looks at all those people around him, and he sees their faces, and here's what he said. With tears in his eyes, he thought, I could have done more. I could have done more. I could have saved more. I could have done more. One of these days, we're going to be in heaven, and there's going to be a cloud of witnesses around us. I could have done more. Seeing who's up there and seeing how wonderful it is and what's really important and what really matters for all eternity, I could have done more. I could have done more. Don't wait. Church needs you. America needs you. Do what God's called you to do. Not only do we find he was unwilling to fulfill his responsibility, but secondly, he is unprepared for the real battle. He sees a beautiful woman washing herself. She's beautiful to look upon. It's not the regular Hebrew word for beautiful. It means beautiful in appearance. Some of the translations have that. Abigail was said to be a beautiful. He was one of her wife, his wives. In other words, she had all the curves in the right spot and places, and she was a knockout. And he just kept gazing. He had the case of the wandering eye. Some of you learned a little song when you were young called, Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Anybody remember that? Oh, careful, little eyes, what you see. There's the Father up above, and he's looking down in love. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Our eyes ought to get us into many, many problems. Many problems. Instead of turning away, he allowed his eyes to continue to pour over this woman. We can't expect God to answer us if we deliberately spy on potential immoral scenes. In America, what's happened all around the world, actually, pornography is just eating up people, eating up the church, in fact. Depending on what statistics you find, anywhere from 40 to 60% of people are engaged, actively engaged in churches in pornography. It's eating us up. Globally, it's a 97 million, excuse me, 97 billion dollar industry and 12 billion dollars industry in the United States. It generates more than the annual revenue of ABC, NBC, and CBS combined. Not to count all the stuff that you, people can see in motels and all the other places that go on. There are 806.3 million porno sites on the internet. 806 million. It's eating us up. It's destroying us. So many people are hurt by that. And yet if somebody would just say, you know, I don't want to travel that path, you can get a, what do you call it on the internet? You can get a block on the internet and it'll block it. But the fact is, men love darkness more than they love light, and they enjoy the thrill. They not only hurt themselves, but they're hurting their family, the ones that they love the most. It's eating us up. Sin is insatiable. It never satisfies. You know the expression, it takes you further than you want to go, keeps you longer when you want to stay, and it'll cost you more than you want to pay. Boy, that's so true with pornography. Get on the internet, and you stay way too long. In time, it'll cost you dearly. 
Men's eyes become like saucers. Their brain shrinks to a size of a pea and they can't think. It's happening now to women. It's a huge problem. Sin never satisfies. There's consequences. It's a ripple effect. There's harm to those around you. Marriages are being torn apart by the claws of pornography. It's a horrible thing. Church is destroyed. No accountability for a lot of people. They don't give an account to anyone. That's why our small groups, accountability groups are so good. Find one, get in one so they can help you and you can help them. We can be the body of Christ we need to be. Sin drags us lower and lower. It becomes bolder and bolder and more daring in its opposition to God until we almost defy God to do something about it. I've talked to men who said, I can't do anything about my problem. I'm stuck. God's going to have to do something to get me out. It's not true, but he believes it is. It's a huge problem. In time, as we look at David, he sunk into a spiritual deadness, Psalm 32, 3 through 5. For that whole year, he remained unrepentant, unrepentant until God showed up, or God's man showed up and directly confronted him and woke him up out of his foggy stupor. He was in a daze. He couldn't think straight. He couldn't act right. His body was falling on apart. He felt, felt horrible. He describes it, what went on. After lusting over, he, he sent and inquired of the woman. He purposed now to satisfy his lust. He once boasted in Psalm 102, Psalm 101, verses 2 through 4, I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. When will you come to me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. I will hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. And now we find he's going to commit adultery, premeditated adultery. And God gave him a warning. He was told that Bathsheba was married and the wife of a faithful servant, and it mattered not. He was the king, and now the second big sin. We saw the first one, the sin of omission. Now it's the sin of commission. He deliberately chose to sin. Here's the observation. How often God comes to us and gently reminds us of what we're planning to do and what is evil in the sight of God. Now, it's just as true that God sometimes comes to us and he reminds us, this is the thing you need to do. Go do this. Talk to that person. You ever been in the store and God says, go talk to that person? You'll be happy if you do. But we tend to rationalize it or sometimes we just miss it all together and we're outside and getting in our car and we think... You know, that would have been a great opportunity to share with that person. But we weren't alert when the time came. He was warned. He persisted. We sin against God and allow a stronghold in our life. We can cause the enemies of God to rejoice. When you go to work, if people know you're a Christian, I'm going to guarantee you they're not going to come up to you and say, today I'm checking you out. I'm going to find out if you're really a Christian. Nobody does that. But I tell you that they're watching if they know you're a Christian. They are watching. And when you fall, you may hear about it. Oh, you called yourself a Christian? I saw how you talked to her. You called yourself a Christian? Yeah, look how you responded when so-and-so tried to do this. People are watching. They're always watching. Hey, you're watching one another. Are you not? We watch our family. We watch people. We want to see if a person's walk is genuine. That's why spending time with God is so important. When you lose that, well, you lose so much. Well, let's go on. David sent the messenger and he took. First he saw, then he sent and inquired, and then he lay with her. This entire scene relates really well to James 1, 14 and 15. And in that passage in James 1, 14 and 15, it says, David is drawn away of his own lust, fleshly ease and laziness. Secondly, he was enticed by the sight of a beautiful woman or beautiful appearance of a woman. Thirdly, the Bible says in, in James 1, 14 and 15, and when lust has conceived, it brought forth sin, premeditated adultery. 
And then the terrible sequel to that was when sin is finished, according to James, it brought forth death, the murder of Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. Now, he could have come clean and confessed his sins, but like so often happens, mankind tries to hide and attempts to cover up. He summons Uriah from the army. Let's just read it from the text. Verses uh, 6 and following. David sent, sent to Joab saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent Uriah to David. And when David came to him, David said concerning the welfare of Joab and the people of state of the war. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out to the king's house and a present from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of the Lord and did not go down to his house. Now, when he they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, what a great, he looks at this great man that he's going to kill. The ark and Israel and Judah are staying in temporary shelters, and my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. How then shall I go to my house and eat and drink and lie with my wife? By my life and the life of your soul, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, stay here today and tomorrow, and also tomorrow, and I'll let you go. And Uriah remained with Jerusalem uh, that day and the next. And then David called him, and he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. And the evening he sent him out to lie with, in the bed with his, excuse me, he had made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his bed with his Lord's servants, but he did not go down to his house. And it came about in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. The letter that he wrote says, place him in the front lines where the thickest battle is being fought and then pull the troops back so that he dies. He couldn't get him to go home. He wouldn't go. So he has him murdered. Sad state of affairs. Well, let's go on. He doesn't repent. For over a year, he's plagued with problems, experiencing all kinds of mental and emotional anguish. Not until David, Nathan reveals to him in a rather unique manner that he's guilty of theft and murder. That's in chapter uh, 12. How did it all get started? He wasn't where he should have been. He should have been doing his responsibility and his duty, but he didn't show up. He was living in the ease and comfort and not spiritually alert. He should have been enduring the hardship as a soldier on the battlefield. And yet his wandering eyes poured over an unlawful subject. And he should have turned away, but he didn't. Let me just tell you something how, what I've learned. And maybe it'll help in you. You see a beautiful woman or a beautiful woman in appearance. Praise God for beautiful women. Amen. A temptation comes. Thoughts come to your mind. Here's something you can pray. Lord, that is a beautiful girl or woman that you've made for some man in the future. And I pray that you'd help that woman come to you if she doesn't know you. And you'd prepare her to be the wife that she needs to be for the man that you're going to send her way. And I pray that you, even now, you would grow her to be a woman of God. Do you ever recognize that's somebody's daughter? Wouldn't it be nice if they, somebody saw your beautiful daughter and that's the prayer they prayed for her? Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be wonderful? John 14, 6 says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. We need to have a change of heart, and Jesus is the one that changes hearts. And it's not I am a way, as some people say. Well, he's one of many ways. The Bible says he is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the one who gives life. He's the one who imparts life to us. If we had the ability within ourselves, minds, as some group says, you just need to tap into your inner man. Boy, that inner man is filthy. Don't tap into him. He can't help you. You need the, the divine nature of God to help you overcome. Jesus gives this admonition. 
In Mark 14, 37 through 39, watch and pray. He told his disciples, watch and pray. Enter not into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I want to just throw in something. This is a Jonathan-ism. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is pathetic. You found that to be true? I'm not going to have that third piece of pie. I've already had two already. Man. Boy, that pie sure looks good. I'm not going to have that piece of pie, though. Gosh, that looks good, man. That sure tasted good, too. But I'm not going to get that third piece of pie. On. The more you think about it before you know it, you've had that third piece. Why? You didn't remove yourself from the temptation. I didn't remove myself from the temptation. And I had the third piece of pie. The flesh is weak. It was amazing. You can preach on addiction to alcohol and narcotics and uh, sex and whatever this, but you preach on people killing themselves by a spoon, watch out. Boy, you're going to hear about it. I remember when I was preaching and I took the passage and it talked about your body's the temple of God, you know, and don't defile the temple of God. And afterwards, I had two ladies call me on the phone and said, I'm never coming back to church. Why? You don't like fat people. What? 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 I never said that. I simply laid out the truth. Maybe the Spirit of God spoke to you about something, but I didn't say it. But God does love fat people. Faithful, available, and teachable. God will use them all day long. Now, you can be skinny and be a fat person in that regard. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it come all the issues of life. If we're faithful at being alert and diligent and watching out of a sense of our personal weakness and insufficiency, it's in order to pray, counting on the help of our gracious God to undergird us. So to pray without watching is foolishness. I will admit that in my earlier days, this is what I would say. I'd get up and I'd read my devotion so I could say, I got that out of the way and I can do what I want. Pure foolishness. But I, <laughs> I got my thing done. I can check the box, you know. Not much of a relationship with God, but I got, I got it done, you know. Watch and pray. God wants us to watch and pray lest we fall into temptation. The Lord knows that even a close walk with God or a life, a life long a life long of lasting consecration will not eradicate or even change the sinful nature which still abides within us. We're never out of the reach of temptation, so we need to be watching and praying. There are warning signs that come all along. You know, small groups are a great place to find people that will help you. God, is a, through his word, is a great resource if you let him speak to you. But often we need somebody tangible that will tell us, go through the problem with us. Prayer is never a substitute for personal effort or diligence. It's rather a means by what we get grace from God in time of need so that he can help us. Colossians 4.2 says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with the attitude of thanksgiving. Not only does it require us to watch, watch before we pray, but after we pray. Watch yourself. You, ever, you know, you've ever heard of the expression, we found the enemy and the enemy is us. <laughs> you don't have to show by a raise of hands, but how many of you have come, finally come to realize that your worst enemy is you? It's not your spouse. <laughs> it's not your children. It's not your boss at work. It's not the guy you recreate with. It's you that's standing in the need of prayer. It's me. It's me. Well, let's look at the last thing, the plan of escape. God has made a plan of escape for us. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has taken you, but as such is common to man. But God is faithful. But God is faithful. We're faithless many times. God is faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted above that which you are able, but with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. God knows you need a way to escape. He's mapped it out if we'll only take the door that's opened. Let me tell you something about what I call red flags. 
Everybody that's lived life for a period of time understands this real well. We're on immorality, so we'll start there. But it could be anger. It could be greed. It could be idolatry. It could be jealousy. You, you name it. There's a road that you've been down this path with so many times you know where it's going to end. Somebody says something to you. Whoa. Or they said it with a little poison in it. They might have meant it jokingly, but you didn't take it that way. And if you don't respond right, the next thing you're going to do is you're going to take the next step down there. And then uh, you may say something back. And then there's another step down there. And, you know, those steps only lead to one thing. You're going to smash your face into the wall and regret you were down there. And may have to go back and apologize for your attitude. It's the same with anything. Casual glances. Longing looks. Touch of the hand. One by one, the steps go. There are red flags all along the way. Here's another one. I don't need that person anyway. Oh, red flag. Are you your brother's keeper, according to the Bible? Yes. I need him and he needs me. I need her and she needs me. I am my brother's keeper. I don't need her. That's a red flag for me. Because I know where that leads. Boy, that leads to more you inside and you want to punch them out for what they said. Or purportedly said. If we don't check the facts. I've gotten to the place in my life. Thank God I don't have to do as often as I used to, but I just used to be alone someplace, and I would just say, God, help me! Help me! Help me! <laughs> I don't want to go down that path. <laughs> I've been too many times down there. <laughs> I know where it leads. No place good. You know what I'm talking about? You've been down the path. You don't cut it off at the pass. First thing comes up. I don't need him. Oh, you, Lord, I repent. I do need him. On and on it goes. Red flags. God sends to us. Don't put yourself in a position to see how good your resistance is. Well, I won't look at uh, those things I'm not supposed to. I'll just peek from back here. Ooh. You stay there glancing for a little while, and you'll be there quite a while. Foolishness. Putting yourself in a position to see how strong you can be. Foolishness. I've found that temptation isn't so much a matter of what we do, but whom we love. Knowing Christ, really knowing him, not just knowing about him. That changes everything. That's why a relationship with him, when you're spending time with him, makes all the difference in the world because you're falling in love with him more and more and more, and the love of the world begins to fade. Now, there are a lot of things in the world that are they're wonderful. And in the right context, they're, man, they're great. But don't grieve the Spirit of God. When he sends the red flags your way, he said, uh-uh. Or, positive, you need to take this course of action and go this way. Fill your mind with him and his blessings, his attributes, his grace, his forgiveness, his love. You fill your, just, you know, sometimes just sing out a song even if you can't sing. Amen. Just sing to the Lord. Three things and I'll close. Now, give these rapidly to you. Number one, recognize the possibility of temptation. Surprise is the enemy's best weapon. That's why we need to be alert and pray. Surprise. Number two, run to God. James 4, 7, and 8 says, draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Draw near to him. Temptation, come draw near to him. God, I need your help now. Don't say, well, you know, I can handle this, you know. 
by now, you know what those areas in your life is where you're really tempted. You, you know that by now. Ask him for help. Draw near to him. First Corinthians 6, 18 through 20 says, do, not, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from, from God, and you're not your own? You have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Your body was made to glorify him. Hmm. Wow. One of the reasons that we need to be accountable to somebody is they'll help us. This is a huge problem in America today. Talked to a young lady right after the service today. She said, thank you so much for sharing today. <laughs> she said, I really needed to hear what you said. It's a huge problem all over America. The fourth is a third thing is this. Not only recognize the possibility of temptation, run to God, but retreat from certain temptations. In other words, flee, run from. Three things in the Bible mentions to flee from. Immorality, idolatry, and greed. We'll just cover, we cover immorality. Run from it. You see the temptation come? Run. Well, I better stick around and see how this is going to go. You'll be dead meat. Listen, if you go on a date and you say, well, it depends on how the date, how the date goes or whether I'm going to go all the way with this person or not. You're already dead. You haven't, you haven't decided in your mind that your body belongs to God. You're dead. It's only a matter of time. We find that as the story goes on when Nathan confronts him chapter, um, I believe it's chapter 12, yeah. David rebukes him. Um, excuse me, Nathan rebukes David. He acknowledges his sin. He repents because God sends him there and he, and he forgives him as Nathan repents. But he said, bloodshed will never leave your household. Solomon murdered his half-brother, another one of David's sons. Later on, he leads an insurrection and David runs for his life. It's a huge battle and hundreds and hundreds of Jewish people lost their lives. Bloodshed will never leave your household. It never did. Down through his family lineage, bloodshed never left his household. Never. But listen to me. You are never too far down that God can't reach you. Isn't that good news? It doesn't matter what you've done. You say, well, you don't know what I've done. It doesn't matter. Listen, if David could commit adultery and then murder the husband, God can help you if you reach out to him and give your heart to him. He's willing to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Come to him. He's waiting for you. I'm going to close this by saying this. Three things as an invitation. If you're here without Jesus today, Oh, today is a wonderful opportunity. Find out how you can come to know him. Find out how you can come to know him. Number two, maybe you need to rededicate your life today. My walk hasn't been like it should be, and I got all kinds of other stuff that's in the way, and I just, today, I want to rededicate my life to the Lord. I want to start fresh and anew. Tell somebody. Tell somebody. It's so easy if you never tell anybody, nobody will ever know, so you can get away with it. Tell somebody about your decision. And thirdly, find out what your spiritual gift is. Or if you know, then use it for the body of Christ. Use it for his glory. Use it for his glory. On the way out of town... There is a huge orchard of nectarines. And I mean, these nectarines are like that. I know because uh, we were, there was a big wreck. And so we took the side road and went up the side. And we came across this orchard and they're just, they were laying all over the place. Now, imagine a tree 
with, let's say, 200 huge nectarines sitting down that tree, and they all fell in time down to the ground, and nobody got to taste one single one of those. People have got to have all kinds of spiritual gifts and abilities that they could use for the church, but nobody gets to partake because I'm going to keep it to myself. What are the gifts given for to be a blessing to the body of Christ? Listen, if you don't know what yours are, find out. If you have abilities and talents, find out. Not only does the church need that, but your witness needs it and America needs to see it. Excited about doing the Father's business. Well, would you bow your head with me, please? Father, thank you for this morning. Oh, God, help us to come to an understanding that you love us. <laughs> you love us. Why you chose to do that, sometimes I wonder. I look at my own life and think I should be so much further down the way spiritually. But you love me. You love every single person in this building. You died for them. That they might have life and life eternal. I pray that for that person who doesn't know you, even now, that they would say yes to you, whether it's here in this building or on the internet. And I pray for the person who needs to rededicate their life. Oh, God, help them say yes today. I'm not going to put it off. I'm going to tell someone I'm going to get involved. I'm going to use my time wisely. And thirdly, Lord, I'm going to take my gifts and abilities and the spiritual gifts that you've given to me and I'm going to be a blessing to the body of Christ and to America. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.